0: Welcome to Talking Giraffe. This is a new and interactive and definitely informative podcast from the Appetite Creative team. Each month, we're going to invite experts to join the Talking Giraffe podcast and share their views alongside other opinionated and definitely brilliant ad tech minds. Posing the questions will be me, Julia Smith, and my job will be to get the conversation going and ensure that every month we have a topic that's relevant, interesting, and provides the answers to the real challenges facing our industry today. Talking to Put Giraffe Podcast panel guests who like giraffes, are unique and diverse, are going to be today. I'm joined by Hallabine Land from Densu. Robert Webster, co-founder of Canton Media Marketing Services, and Jenny Stanley, founder and MD of Appetite Creative. And I've got to come to you first, Jenny, as founder of Appetite Creative and the brains behind Talking Giraffe to explain the concept. Why giraffes? (laughs) Well,
1: giraffes are very interesting animals. Um, I think the interesting thing that kind of caught us about giraffes when we were talking about this internally was that the fact that giraffes actually have many uh, hidden talents. Um, they don't confuse uh, size with strength. Um, they can actually run very fast, uh, which was a fact that we learned while discovering uh, giraffes. They can actually run up to, to 40 miles per hour, which was shocking for us. So there's lots of hidden qualities. Um, and also they've got a great view of the world. And that was the kind of piece that really struck us, that be able to see things from a great height and see actually um, objectively what's going on down below.
0: Oh, that's great. I certainly think, as you said, I think it's fascinating about giraffes and what they can do. And this is, again, why I think they've really got, they're like human beings, that they've got a unique fingerprints. And they're definitely exactly. Robert and Hannah and Jenny, have all are very unique in your own rights. And you're going to be perfectly placed to discuss today's topic, which is cookie list targeting and how the hell the industry is meant to cope. But more than that, how they're going to flourish in a cookie-free future. So for publishers, we're obviously looking at, they must pursue new strategies to develop and activate their own audiences. And for brands, a lot of them are caught in the headlights as they have used, been using cookies for so long and so reliant on those, they're now needing to look at using other identifiers uh, and finding a way to target without cookies. So this is the kind of topics that we wanna cover, but I have to ask a question first to my panelists. Guys, what have you panic bought so far, Rob?
2: You, you know what? I'm not really uh, into uh, much panic buying. I think I'm probably unpanic bought. I've got a relatively unstocked fridge, so uh, <laughs> yeah, probably a bad example. I'm sorry.
0: Oh, but well, that's no, that's good. At least you're not one of those the people that has gone out and bought everything in the masses. Hannah, how about you? Toilet rolls? Uh,
3: no toilet rolls. Biscuits, cakes. Chocolate, wine, Brilliant. you know, those usual, the uh, the things you need,
1: really, if you're staying indoors. But,
3: um, the
0: essentials. And Jenny, you're out in Madrid. What have you played?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I haven't been venturing out to do the shopping. Um, I've been writing very, um, very detailed lists for my husband to be doing the shopping. And he's kind of gone off on little slants. Like yesterday, he came back with 20 milk or chocolate bars and we don't like milk or chocolate
0: so that's <laughs> <laughs> so those are those are the preparations those are solid preparations chocolate bars for obviously this situation and isolation that we're in talk to me Hannah about the preparations your company has made at Densu to prepare or sorry to adjust to cookie list targeting
3: so i suppose we're on a countdown now aren't we so chrome announced it a few months ago so we're probably in about the 22 months are we until they decide to actually shut it off completely and um, so obviously safari and firefox did it months ago and so i suppose we have been adjusting as we obviously knew this was going to happen and um, i think a lot of the browsers that we actually um, target to at the moment are cookie already so i think a lot of the work that we're doing definitely in our programmatic buys has been adjusting over
0: the last 12 months. And Robert, are you seeing this, do you, do you think that the publishers are as prepared or that the industry in general is as prepared?
2: Uh, no, I don't think the industry is as, as prepared as it, as it could be. Um, I think things are uh, you know, moving very quickly you know, between now and the 2022 when when, when when D-Day is pulled. I think what you're finding is some progressive advertising publishers are pushing ahead. Yeah, so already on Safari, is, as, as was mentioned, yeah, you can target things like geo-targeting or, or more time targeting, more browser targeting to push things forward. I think publishers, it's much more about trying to, trying to get hold of first-party data and trying to gain uh, consent for that. There's an awful lot of new technology you know, out in the wild now that's, that's helping to try and solve some of these issues. And the uptake is really there among the more progressive companies. And I think others, yeah, the longer tails finding it hard to, to compete
0: and you, mentioned and you mentioned, Rob, there about strengthening first-party data and I think all, all the the ability to do that. Jenny, you work with, with a number of brands. Have you got top tips that you've been giving them as to how they should strengthen their first-party data?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's the part that... Um, we've really been focusing on, which is being able to um, create experiences that engage users and make them happy, basically, to part with their data. So it might be something like an augmented reality experience. It might be something connecting online and offline personas. It might be something where you're offering um, vouchers, samplings or giveaways or competitions or something to really engage your users so that they're happy to to give their data to you. And then, of course,
0: the brands able to actually create their own first-party pool of data. And it's said, so if, if brands, uh, brands are obviously looking at this and saying, well, we're going to be finding a way to pivot and we're going to look at this, um, we need to engage with people-based audiences without the use of cookies. Is there, is there, a, set, is there a best way, is there one best way for, for brands to engage people-based audiences without the use of cookies? This is to any of you guys.
2: I don't think there's one best way. I think there's a number of emerging uh, techniques. So one technique that advertisers and publishers should both engage in is trying to work more on an authenticated web world for logged in users. And you're seeing more and more publishers now looking for people to log in. And um, with advertisers then able to sort of partner with those companies, using new technology, people like uh people like, like Permutive. You're able to then go and target on that one-to-one level uh, and generate consent. So I think that's one really um, important methodology. But then there's other, yeah there's other ways of doing it as well, it's, it's using proxies for that. So I think location targeting uh, is, is absolutely vital. And then of think- course there's the real unknowns as well. So what, what's what's Google going to do with, with 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 Chrome in terms of the the Chrome sandbox and things like Turtle Dove that also might offer solutions?
0: What do you think Google's going to
2: do, Rob? Well, I, I think they I, I think they will offer something within 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 Chrome sandbox that will allow some form of behavioral targeting to occur, you know, turtle dove, which is uh, two uncorrelated uh, requests, and uh, locally uh, executed is, is one possible uh, solution. So they'll do anything they can do to carry on making money. Uh, and-
0: I think that that's definitely, there's no question that that's at the forefront of their mind. So on another, mm. so let's think about it this way, about making money, Part of me thinks that this is actually going to be a good thing for publishers and they're going to see an increase in revenues potentially. You know, have third party cookies been holding them back? Will we see an end to mass reach, low cost, but a rise in brand safe, quality and viewable impressions? Hannah, you you speak to the publishers and work with the publishers. What's your opinion on that? What are you seeing?
3: I think as long as the IAB can support them to create that framework of um, segments or that using that audience taxonomy so that we can actually work out what's on that page, um, I think that's the key at the moment. When I've spoken to publishers recently, they are just, yeah, they're not happy about us at all as agencies, not, you know, trying to... Have the smallest reach we possibly can and they want us to try and buy more stuff and so the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we, we open up those pages so we can yeah. see what's actually inside them and not block because we have you know huge ex- exclusion and inclusion lists that we have to abide by you know which is sent by the client or we have in our own teams and so to be able to widen those slightly so that we can kind of we can see a bit more is obviously great for both of us
0: and Jenny, you're also working with publishers. And, and is there have you been looking working with them on recommendations as to best practices to get data richness out of their registered users?
1: Yeah, we've been looking at ways to actually help publishers um, encourage people to um, sign in. whether that's subscription model or not, you can still sign in. Um, for free to be able to um, read content and so we've been creating different um, hub sites we've been creating landing pages we've been creating ways basically to help uh, users uh, part with their their data or log in in some way um, even if it's not actually a subscription model but get people engaged and interacting um, and and getting something back for, for logging in basically
0: and I want to come to you, actually, Rob, on that, because I think so, because you work very closely with the brands, and brands have relied on third party cookies to enhance lift, maximize returns, measure outcomes, make decisions, all of those things. What are they going to do now? What are your brands saying?
2: In, in terms of measurement, well, yeah. we're, we're looking for new ways uh, to measure. I mean, I think an awful lot of brands historically measured very, very badly. I mean, the biggest trick that searchers has ever pulled was trying to convince them that, uh, that, convince brands that brand search was actually a, a demand generating channel rather than just lazy navigation. So I think what everyone's trying to do now is, first of all, understand as much as they can do uh, about their, um, uh, about what data they can get out now in systems. It's connecting to the walled gardens because the walled gardens are going to have more reliable data moving forward. Uh, and also really turbocharging their predictive modeling and econometrics. Because that's really going to be the kind of the methodology that will really kind of survive um, uh, longer term. So brands that are pushing ahead with that with that now are going to be in a real advantage for 5Q do finally end uh, in a year or two time.
0: And do you mentioned Wall Gardens, and this was a point actually I wanted to give to you to ask you, Hannah, because um, I wonder if, if, from your perspective, you think Wall Gardens are the answer for providing accurately targeted audience and the ability to measure campaigns. Are they the answer?
3: Um, Yeah, that's a big question Um, I don't think they always are I think obviously they're always part of our media plans at the moment but I don't think they're the one solution that we need to look at and see how we replicate I think publishers got an enormous wealth of information and we need to tap into that Um, the information you get back from Facebook will be different obviously from the stuff you'll get from News UK so obviously we need to have both of those strands when we're looking at
0: Buying inventory
2: for our clients. <sighs> and the things that
0: go.
2: I'll say, I think you're going to find a lot of new walled gardens, though. I think that, you know, I agree with, with everything Hannah just said, um, and you want to really help out publishers, but people like the Ozone Project can effectively create new walled gardens around premium publishers that really kind of protect premium quality and, and quality audiences. I think in the in the sort of the more video and TV space, you see people like Channel 4 and ITV really pushing ahead with their own kind of more walled garden type approach. But remember, h- higher walls can be good because they keep out the bad actors.
0: Yeah,
2: and, absolutely. And if, if you're a consumer saying, you know, do you want to consent and trust your data to somebody, it's much easier to consent to brands that you've heard of, be it big brands like sort of you know, News International or ITV or Channel 4, or, or the big brands that are targeting you rather than an ad tech company you've never heard of. So I think we must be careful. Wall Gardens doesn't have to be just Google and Facebook. And they can actually be really a really good solution for us moving forward.
0: I think and I think there is a hope that it's not Google and Facebook and that this is a chance for publishers to, to start bringing, clawing back money. One question on that then, is, is it the case that contextual targeting offerings from publishers is going to be is going to help maintain grow cpms or claw back that spend is that the answer contextual targeting i mean
2: i
3: think they're coming to us and telling us what they're doing then absolutely that can help i think the problem is always communication isn't it that you know we've had dsps and ssps in the way if you kind of try and get a bit more communication direct with the seller and the buyer then that will always help those conversations
0: Jenny what do you think as well about contextual targeting as a a thought of of being able to help maintain CPMs or increase spend?
1: I think it's another one of those tools you know that that Rob kind of said it's not one way I think there's lots of different ways I mean offering contextual uh, targeting is is an easy way to be able to um, communicate with customers that are of a a certain group you know so you want to offer an upgrade to consumers um, if you can get their data so again I think it's about you know tangible rewards for, for getting information and, and contextual, obviously, is, is a way that will work in being able to group people together.
0: Well, here's a thought as well another option is because you're mentioning the duopoly, is maybe publishers just replicate the successful strategy of Facebook and Google and monet in their, the way that they monetize their owned and operated inventory. I mean, can we learn lessons from how they do that?
2: Yes, I really think we can. I mean, that's what I was talking about earlier about publishers launching their own walled gardens. And I think that one of the things they really can learn from Facebook about, particularly, and Google, is how easy it is to spend money. You know, uh, almost anyone outside of ad tech could go into Facebook or Google and spend £20 on media. Whereas if you want to go and buy programmatically through the Guardian, for example, it's very hard. You've got to go and get a DSP, you've got to get your whitelist, you've got to get your targeting. So I think making it easy and making it powerful is, is really the yeah, you know, the solution and making it safe is really the solutions that you need all publishers to kind of push forward with.
0: And I'm gonna stay with you, Rob, actually, because I know that my next question is one of the ones that is a specialist area for you. So you should be brilliant at answering it. Because I've heard a lot of statements um, at the lot when when we had physical events in person, the last one I went to, there was a lot of talk about this is the end of third-party data. Attribution will never be the same again. Truth or fake news? Which is it, Rob?
2: Wow, well, uh, I I would say it's fake news. I mean, I think, you know, if if people think that uh, data is the new oil, you just need to have a look at new ways of looking after that data. I think that third-party data will move more to sort of second-party, with with, with brands looking to partner, more with, with customers. And more, more with people that have data run customers, and that way there's more chance of generating consent. Rather, than the problem with third-party data today is nobody knows where it comes from. No one knows how the quality is. And then attribution is much more of a fascinating one because it's going to change subtly, uh, but fundamentally, I think that you know brands need to be able to understand what's going on with their um, their ad dollars, and I think that we can actually move forward and actually have better attribution than you have uh, today.
0: Maybe that would be amazing. I would love to see it moving forward and it being improved attribution, which is something that's like the elixir that everyone's trying to always to succeed on. And I think that's that should be – there should be outputs. There should be outcomes of this that feel like it's actually – it's helping the industry move forward. And I'm curious actually as to, Jenny, are there any standout brands that you work with that you feel are kind of leading the way in engaging with trusted partnerships, being successful in how they use their first party data to reach consumers. Talk about, tell, tell us any success stories or or brands that you think are really getting it right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think for, for us, um, from a personal experience, and um, the way that we've been working with, with, with Tetra Pak for the last two years, um, has been really amazing in the way they've looked to help their brands because of course they're a B2B to B2C um, type company um, where they've really kind of looked at being able to collate lots of different parts of, of, of data pockets, and then really look at the correlation between that data and, and make decisions. So, um, for instance, they've been creating lots of different competitions, lots of different incentives for um, them to be able to gain much more information about their brands. And then they've collected all of that information in a back-end database, and they've been able to correlate things around you know, cities, cities. Um, the, uh, the knowledge around recycling, so we're able to know which brands actually have people that are more or less interested or knowledgeable about recycling, uh, in which cities, and then they're actually being able to create really great correlations between those um, data pots. But um, even when we began the, the, the project with them, we didn't even think those types of things would be possible. And it's even starting to affect things like their logistics and the production, which are, again, much bigger than we ever thought that you know advertising was going to be able to affect. So there are some really good ways to be able to do it, I think, um, Pepsi and Coca-Cola actually are doing some great things around their um, data collection as well. Um, and I think really there's more onus on the brands looking to collect their own first-party data instead of being kind of really reliant and always you know, being able to pick up some third-party data or cookies in the same way as you know, I suppose the lazy way was to be able to buy an email list. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> it's really kind of moving forward and looking at new ways to be able to um, get better information. Um, and first-party, if not second-party
0: data. Thank goodness it is moving forward from email lists. List. That's a good <laughs> thing. Hannah, um, Hannah, I'll come to you because Jenny mentioned Tetra Pak and Pepsi, Cola and Coca-Cola as two brands that – sorry, I shouldn't say Pepsi and Coca-Cola in the same sentence. That's three, but two separate brands. Coca-Cola and Tetra Pak are two brands that Jenny mentioned. Can you tell me about the as brands you think are leading the way in how they use their first-party consented data?
3: I was going to a lot of the brands that I work with are purely brand clients, so they're not doing any performance. And so for a lot of the brands I'm working with, we're not collecting first-party data. So I think that will change, although it is difficult when you're Coca-Cola to collect that first-party data because... You know, unless you're going to have a personalised Coke can, um, and you want to speak to you as Julia with your can of Coke, it's quite difficult. Or um, Pepsi, or, or Pepsi, obviously. Yeah, the other other brands are available. <laughs> um, so yeah, from that point of view, I think the one the brands that I specifically work with, I think that will that kind of one to one targeting is going to have to be thought of a bit more and then coming like you say to attribution like attributing back through those products bought and how we can make sure that i know julia you bought four cans of cake last week and then you're going to buy four cans of pepsi this week that's what's really interesting for me
0: so, yeah. That's subject to stock being available in the shops currently, mm-hmm. Hannah, but I do get yeah. your point. <laughs> and actually this then, so if if we're doing if that's the case and we're we're moving to in that direction and is that, and then what you say happens, is it important or how important is it that the industry moves in the same direction together? And there's a unified effective measurement. It does is that gonna exist? Is it gonna help with with there being that audience addressability and some standards across the industry? I'll start with you, Rob. What's your thoughts on that? What we're going to do together as an industry and what's actually achievable and what's not? I,
2: I think that standards are really vital to help everyone work together and level the playing field. But I actually think we'll probably move away from standards for the next two years because we're in a period of such huge flux where everything's changing, you know, month by month, week by week, uh, you know. So I think what you're going to really see is certain uh, brands and publishers pushing ahead and kind of outpacing the rest. Which, which challenges that standard piece. I think it's companies that really invest very heavily, both in the skill set of their internal teams, but also in the, in the new technology, which requires in this new area. And then I think once we get through the next sort of two or three years, things will probably then settle down again. Look, look at it a bit like the, the programmatic revolution around sort of 2009, 2010. It took two or three years for it to all settle down and people work out how it all works. Yeah. And then the standards start to really come back. Uh, and it became more of a level playing field again. I think we're in that same period now.
0: I think Jenny, it, what do, yeah, do you agree, and do you think that's, there should be some consensus on what the industry should be doing? Well, I think I, I think just to, to Bob's point around the, the publishers
1: and creating their walled gardens, I think that as well that the publishers should be kind of looking, you know, the smaller players maybe need to kind of work together within their own ecosystems as well. So maybe not just very, very small pockets because otherwise Google and Facebook will basically keep all of the control of the the large pools of data and then all the smaller players won't really be able to um, have a sustainable future, I suppose. So I think it's about kind of working together uh, and and, and, and publishers working together and uh, perhaps even brands, you know, within their own ecosystems as well working together. So I think it's more a message of... Of partnerships.
0: Hannah do you agree I mean we've not in some ways we've got it so right as an industry of brands agencies and publishers pulling in the same direction is it now more important than ever for that to, to be the case and is it achievable?
3: Yeah I mean obviously with Google's campaign manager and their amalgamation of all their kind of online products for advertisers and um, Coming up with that kind of single number that is correct across Google Analytics, the DSP, you know, it's one number that is correct. What I worry with that is, and I've always got my fraud reviewability hat on somewhere, is that we're using their own tools to kind of say whether some data is correct or not. So when I'm looking at Moat and I'm looking at a specific Kind of vertical businesses, I can kind of look at the viability across all of those businesses together. If I do that, I can't do that with Google. They're only going to give me one number, and that's for one kind of one brand, and one one kind of ad server, I suppose. So that's the only thing that I worry about really: is the that one number that we're going to get from Google and how correct actually is it? Yeah. Although obviously it's good to get one number and not five that mean the same thing.
0: <laughs> I think
3: <laughs> it's going to be difficult to work out what whether that number is realistic or not.
0: And I think yeah, that's a good and in in a way actually that's um I think that that ability to have some consistency has been something and audience addressability and all of those elements have always been something we're striving for. And in so many ways, we get right and hopefully we're going to see that. Just as a parting shot before we have to close this very first Talking Giraffe podcast, I'd love each of you to give me one final brilliant nuggets or takeaway or must do as a recommendation out to the industry. Um, I'll start with you, Rob.
2: For me, it's all about education. You know, as we're coming to a, more, a world of real change and nothing's been done before, we're having to reinvent it as we go. And the way to do that is to really back great people and have great education within your, within your uh, companies and brands. And
0: Hannah, yeah. do you make it? Yeah, definitely.
3: I totally agree with Rob, but like building on that, just educating, make sure you're talking as m- like more than you should do and make sure each side knows what you're doing. Like the left hand needs to speak to the right and back again, because at the moment that doesn't always happen.
0: And Jenny, as this is uh, this talking giraffe, is the brainchild of you and Appetite Creative. I'll leave you with the final thoughts.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's going back to that old age um, saying if, if we always do what we've always done we'll always get the same results so if we keep going down the same way of, 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 of perhaps unethically even uh, tracking people and not looking at new ways and innovation and creativity and new technology and new ways of doing things then we'll always end up in this same place um, which kind of makes consumers not trust us uh, issues then when we have to look at GDPR and cookies and all those, those different things as well so I think it's about
0: looking for new ways to do things I think you're right. And I think the one thing actually that we haven't addressed, but is what I think most people know, and certainly I know you three know how important this is, is the ethics and integrity of looking at our consumers and who owns that consumer identity and making it back, come full circle back to the consumer um and what's the right thing to do so that's that's certainly great i think those have been four good takeaways for for those listeners and which leads me just really to thank the three of you for joining me thank you tana beanland from dentsu thanks thank you from robert webster from canton marketing services thank you and finally thank you jenny Stanley, founder and MD of Appetite Creative. And thank you for creating Talking Giraffe. And we'll be back next month with another topic, another set of great panelists, and we look forward to for you listening in on more views and insights. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.